So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Yeah, Peter and John, stick it to the man. Don't bow to those evil governments. You need to stand up for your faith. I wonder what else Peter has to say about such things. Yeah. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. What? Wait, what, what happened to you, Peter? I thought... I think we have a biblical contradiction here, don't we? Well, is it though? See, often, when it seems like we have a contradiction in the biblical writings, a little study can reveal something even better than what we think either passage is actually saying. So, let's talk about it together. conflict and confusion comes from pitting one Bible verse against another. And when we make verses stand on their own as separate ideas and thoughts and commands and instructions, we can basically make the biblical writings say anything we want and use them to justify anything we want. And in the process, we start seeing verses that now seem to contradict each other. And so what do we do? We either ignore the parts that we think we disagree with, right? Oh, those are for a different time. Or we explain a, explain them away, trying to make them mean what they actually never meant to the original author. Or we just give up on the whole thing, which might be part or a reason why you or, or someone you care about has or is ready to give up on Christianity because people pick and choose the verses they want and, and then claim that that's the truth. And then they force their truth on others and fight anyone who disagrees with their biblical clear truth. And it might seem daunting, but there is a way forward. And it's actually not as complicated as we think. If we take a bit of time to see passages within their historical context and the context of the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world, we can find guidance and truth that has transformed lives and communities for thousands of years. And so let's take one apparent contradiction and find out what's what's really going on. And afterward, we might have some tools to use when we come across other seemingly contradictory texts. So, should we obey the government or not? What if the government's bad or evil or against the church? Well, here's what I think we'll find. Seeing the big picture of the biblical writings helps us navigate our big questions. And so let's let's frame our problem. In the book of Acts that I read, we have a passage describing how Peter and John stood up to the authorities and told them to their face that they would disobey them in order to obey God. While in 1 Peter, we have the exact same guy, Peter, telling Jesus followers to obey authorities as obedience to Jesus. And so let's use our study rhythm that we've been using these, these last few episodes to see if we can sort this out. And so our first step in our rhythm is to discover the genre and the historical context of our texts. And if you go to uh, the encyclopedia at BibleGateway.com, or even look at the book overviews of these two books at BibleProject.com, you can get a, a lot of good information. So when we do that, we find that Acts, the book of Acts, is a narrative. It describes what happened, kind of with a point behind it. Here's what happened, here's what I want you to know about that and why. 
doesn't necessarily prescribe behavior. It describes, doesn't always prescribe. So we can get a lot of good examples from narratives, but not always meant to be an instruction book. And we see that the book of Acts was written by Luke, who was one of the Apostle Paul's companions, probably around 60s AD. And he wrote it to explain what Jesus did after his resurrection through the Holy Spirit and the church, how the kingdom of God arrived and how Jesus invited the world to join in that kingdom. And when we study what First Peter is about, we discover that it's an epistle, meaning it's a letter explaining to Jesus' followers what it means to be living in that kingdom of God, what it means to be following the law of Christ, love in daily life. This was also written in the 60s AD, and it was written in Rome. And Paul commissioned the letter, didn't actually write it by hand, but he probably dictated it or commissioned it, but it was actually composed by a guy named Sylvanus which is the same root as my last name. So he's probably a great, 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 great grandfather of mine, which is amazing. I don't know if that's true, but it could be. And so in the epistle, the church has spread and grown over the last 30 years, but now it's facing opposition and even harassment from the surrounding Roman pagan culture. And so Peter wrote this letter to encourage them and to instruct them how to live as exiles, which we kind of talked about in the last episode. And so first, with all of this info, we see that we're dealing with two different types of literature from two different authors, meaning they might probably say and teach some of the same things, but in different ways. So the same principle might be at play, but seen through different lenses. See, due to their literary diversity, the biblical writings often give us big ideas from many different angles. But is that really what's happening here? Or is that just like me, a pastor, having this wishful thinking that it all just works and just put your head in the sand? Well, let's find out. Let's keep going. And so our next step is to read the context of the whole text. And so as we as we read what has happened so far in the book of Acts, we can I can paraphrase it for you a little bit. Jesus starts the church. He tells the disciples to be his witnesses that the kingdom of God has arrived in himself, Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills the disciples to be those witnesses. And the disciples explain what has happened. And people believe. And the church starts forming. And one day, Peter and John go to the temple. And at the temple, there's a crippled beggar. And they heal him, proving that the kingdom of God has now arrived. And the people are amazed. And so Peter preaches about Jesus. But the priests and the temple guards and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, hear about it. And they're not happy. Because they thought they had already dealt with this Jesus guy, right? And so they arrest Peter and John. And the next day, all the religious leaders get together, including the high priest, and they question them. Well, when they question them, Peter starts preaching to them about Jesus. But the leaders are amazed by their, their boldness, and they remember that they were Jesus' disciples. So these authorities ask themselves, well, how do we get them to stop? Because this Jesus stuff needs to end. If I killed the guy, like this, how do we stop it? And they're like, well, let's, let's tell them to stop and, and threaten them. Well, when they do that, Peter and John say, we can't, we won't, and we don't stop. And that's the story that we find ourselves in. In 1 Peter, our context is this. He explains, because of a Jesus follower's trust in Jesus, they become a new people. The Jesus followers become a new people. They're no longer simply citizens of the place they live. They have now become citizens of the kingdom of God. And with that comes a new role. To be God's new temple, to be his holy priests, to show the world the goodness and the love of God through Jesus. 
See, Jesus' followers are representatives of Jesus to the rest of the world. And Peter specifically tells them that how they act during persecution will bear witness to Jesus and his kingdom. And that persecution offers a chance to show others the generous love of Jesus. So Peter encourages his readers to get rid of all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. He tells them to resist evil by showing love and generosity, not by fighting back. He encourages them to, to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. So if those neighbors do accuse them of doing wrong, they'll actually see the Jesus followers' honorable behavior and end up honoring God themselves. And then as an example of how to do that, we have our passage. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. And so now, in our next step, we engage the actual text we're looking at. And one of the best ways to do that is to ask questions. And one of the most important questions we can ask to the biblical writings is why? Why? Like, why did the author include this? Why, is, why are they saying this? Or in a narrative, why did the character do or say that? And so for this passage, why is Peter saying to submit? He says, submit for the Lord's sake. See, Peter's saying a Jesus follower's peaceful submission to human authority honors Jesus's universal authority. Which then, of course, for anybody kind of thinking through this, leads to other questions. What did Peter mean by submit? Well, then we can go use the dictionary at the Blue, at Blue Letter Bible. And we find that submit means exactly what we think it means. It means subject oneself. It means to obey. It means to yield. I know, I thought there'd be wiggle room too. Sorry. And so he says submit. Submit to whom? It says all, and if you look up all, it means all. All human authority. The kings and his officials. You're like, okay, well, let's ask more questions. Who's the king? Well, from our study, we saw that this is being written during 60s AD. And so if you use a Bible dictionary or you just Google who was the Roman emperor during 60s AD, you find out it's Nero, Emperor Nero. And what do we know about him from our search? Not a good guy. Pretty horrible guy. In fact, he is the emperor who had Peter killed. So then why is Peter saying to submit to this authority? Well, let's, let's read on. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. So Peter is saying, submit. Why? To silence those who would make false accusations against them. So you remember, the people... The, the normal people, the pagan people, the Roman people are starting to turn hostile to the Jesus followers, as we saw earlier. And so Peter is showing what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God now with this pressure of people kind of looking at you and being like, well, are you a crazy cult or what are you? So while they are living in a culture and a kingdom that was not the kingdom of God and was opposed to the kingdom of God, Peter is showing them how to live in the kingdom of God at the same time. And so he's saying, yes, you are free in Jesus. Like what I told you about being free it's true. You are not less than anyone. You're not even less than the emperor. You are a citizen of the true kingdom. You belong to the king who possesses all true authority, which means you are now free to choose 
to submit and choose to earn respect of those who don't follow Jesus yet. And so now we can engage our other passage in Acts. What are Peter and John refusing to do when they disobey the authority? They're refusing to stop telling about what they saw. They refuse to stop telling people that Jesus came back from the dead. Here's our question. Why? Why are they refusing to stop? Because Jesus himself told them to be his witnesses. They say, we can't help it. We have to obey Jesus. Their priority was bringing the kingdom of God to earth by being Jesus's witnesses. And so they say they don't have a choice. But they are, if you read it closely, they are being respectful to these authorities. And so we're seeing that possibly Peter's encouragement to submit might have a bigger why than simple blind obedience to the government. And we might be seeing that Peter and John's disobedience might have a bigger why than simply refusing to obey evil or illegitimate leaders. But before we start making our own assumptions, we need to make sure that people with the experience and, and the training with these passages come to similar conclusions. And so our next step is we ask the experts. So I have a, a few experts that we can look at, just a few examples due to our time restraint. The first one is I. Howard Marshall's commentary on 1 Peter. Christians are to be strangers and pilgrims so far as the sinful way of life of the world is concerned. But where it is a case of doing good, they are to take an active part. And then we have, with an axe, we have William J. Larkin Jr.'s commentary, where he says, Again, taking the offense of Peter and John command the council to make a judgment. Is it right in God's presence to obey a human council, even one that views itself as ordained by and speaking for God rather than God? They show their basic submission to the council's authority by calling on them to make that judgment. Yet at the same time, as our Lord did, they show the council members both the limits of their authority and how they abuse it when they prohibit divinely commanded actions. The council will need to make that judgment now or in the very near future, for the apostles serve notice that they cannot help speaking what they have seen and heard. In obedience to the risen Lord's mandate, they must continue to be eyewitnesses of these salvation truths. And so we see that Peter and John disobey the authorities respectfully in Acts, not because the authorities are inept or unfair or making decisions they disagree with, but because they are telling Peter and John to stop doing what Jesus specifically told them to do, to be witnesses of the good news that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and has brought the kingdom of God to earth now and everyone is invited to join. And in 1 Peter, we see Peter is telling his readers to submit, not because the authorities are great people and he totally agrees with all their politics, but in order to be witnesses of the good news that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death and has brought the kingdom of God to earth now and everyone is invited to join. See, and good commentaries will also take us to other passages that kind of relate to this and give the bigger picture of what the biblical writings present as a whole. The stories like uh, Moses' midwives who refuse to obey Pharaoh and, and don't kill baby Moses. You have Rahab who doesn't turn in the Jewish spies and Joshua. You have Daniel and his friends refusing to pray to and bow to Nebuchadnezzar and, and the kings there. And you also have Paul in Romans 13 talking about submitting to authority. And all talking about good civil disobedience and respecting authorities. And so after all of that, we can ask, are these two passages that we've specifically looked at, do they contradict? I don't think so. I think they both point 
to a bigger truth that can guide our decisions today. And it's this. As citizens of the kingdom of God, the Jesus followers' priority is to represent their true king and invite others into his kingdom. See, a Jesus follower's primary lens through which to view the world, their neighbors, and their own actions are not political, cultural lenses that we see around us constantly, but it's the lens of the kingdom of God and its values and priorities, which are people, and showing the love of God to all people. See, Jesus followers are called to be the best citizens. They're called to be agents of good, working to improve their community and making and keeping peace within their communities. We're called to offer a, a different and a difference in an alternative from the anger and the fear and the division that drives the kingdoms around them. The New Testament writings constantly are bringing up this idea of living as peacefully as we can and impressing those around us with our love for and our submission to each other and the world. But this priority often brings conflict with the other kingdoms who want everyone to play by their rules, to live for their priorities of power and wealth and the status quo for the authorities to keep their power and wealth. And when that conflict comes, and it usually does, Jesus followers must stay true to their identity and must stay true to their priority, which might require speaking out against injustice, standing up for the oppressed, using whatever privilege and authority for, that they have for good, for the good of the forgotten, the weak, and the marginalized. And in some instances, that will mean talking about Jesus, even when the government says it's illegal. See, when a Jesus follower is dealing with a human authority figure, the question is, what will best display Jesus and his kingdom? That is how we decide what is best, the best choice. It's very similar to how we interact with each other, where when we ask, what does love look like? We say, what will best display Jesus and his kingdom? So there are times it's okay to disobey in order to love. Perfect example, the Underground Railroad, when, the, when people would come down, disobey the government and free slaves. There are times when it's okay to disobey the government because you're showing love. Like in closed countries where being a Jesus follower is illegal, where Jesus followers telling people about Jesus is against the law, like mainland China, North Korea, strict Muslim countries where people can be killed for their faith in Jesus. I mean, there's a reason most of the apostles were executed. They disobeyed the government by talking about Jesus. But for most cases, for us, most of us watching this, however, if the government is not ordering Jesus followers to directly disobey Jesus or go against his command to love as he loved us, then respectful submission is our primary response, even if we do disagree. In fact, if you want to dig deeper on Christian civil disobedience, I recommend going to gotquestions.org. They have a great uh, article about what that really looks like. We'll have the link in the show notes. So after all that, our final step in our rhythm is we do something with it. Remember, if we just study for study's sake, it's a waste of time. So if you watching and listening to this are a Jesus follower, here's my encouragement to you. Ask this question. It might be dangerous. Ask this, which kingdom is my priority. Kingdom of God, a kingdom of the world. And now we all know the right answer, right? But what's the true answer? 
Well, here's a test. So we know we're not like just fooling ourselves. When our candidate loses, how do we react? When the government makes decisions we disagree with, what is our reaction? Do people know and hear more about who we vote for than who we worship? And last one, do we see people and issues through the lens of liberal or conservative or kingdom of God or kingdom of the world? Which kingdom is your priority? Another question, if you're not a Jesus follower, I want you to ponder this question. Which kingdom would bring the society you want to live in? Which, which kingdom would bring in the society you want your kids to live in? And now for everyone, if, you're, if you seriously want to make the kingdom of God your priority, I encourage you this week with good tools to read through the epistle, the letter of 1 Peter. Read through it. Ask questions. Get, get some dictionaries and, and maybe a good commentary if you can. Read through 1 Peter and pray this. Jesus, show me how to have the kingdom of God as my priority. Show me how to have the kingdom of God as my priority. See, when we read the biblical writings, we can't take a single verse and ignore its, its context and create an entire theology and, and lifestyle around that verse ripped out of its context. But when we look at passages within the larger picture of God's kingdom, we see a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what our role in his kingdom is. It's a kingdom where every single person is invited to be a citizen. It's the first and only kingdom whose law is to love our neighbors as our king loved us. It's a kingdom based on what love looks like for everyone, from the least to the greatest. And then it completely switches the meaning of those two words around. It's, a, it's the kingdom that brings true life, peace, justice, and love, even in the middle of earthly kingdoms that often are opposed to the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that the biblical writings point us to. So let's study them. Because when read in context, the biblical writings can guide us to bring the kingdom of God to our context now. watching this week's uh, part three of our Think About It series. We have another one coming up next weekend, so be sure to keep your eyes open for that. This content is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We are a church in Salem, for Salem, and we are online and also we gather in person. So check out our website for more information or the show notes. Uh, but we have some events coming up. They'll be on the screen here for you. Uh, we have another gathering in July and then two more in August. And on the third Sunday in August, we're gonna be handing out ice cream for everyone. It's our August for Salem opportunity. There's gonna be more details coming, but we're gonna be at West Bennett Park in the afternoon on the third Sunday in August, handing out free ice cream. So it should be a fun event for everybody. Uh, good weather, splash pad, basketball court. Uh, there's a play structure there for the kids, lots of green space to run around, but mostly just fun to be together and do something fun for the community. So we hope to see you in July and August, and we hope you're enjoying yourself, uh, applying sunscreen liberally, and finding time to relax. And we'll see you soon.